And again, so I've got, I, I think I can be done with this in 20 minutes. I'm going to, sh- I'm, I'm going to shorten this up a little bit so we can get on with, uh, with the other part of the evening. But we certainly want to uh, go into God's Word here and get some help. First John chapter 5, starting in verse number 18. I want to look at the last couple of verses of this book. It says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. I ask your blessing upon the service tonight. Lord, I do pray this would be a genuine help to us, that your word would speak to our heart, draw us closer to you, meet the needs that are here, or use this to strengthen us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has never truly been converted, that perhaps even this evening they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I remember back when I was a teenager reading through 1 John, and it was one of the books I got, I happened to come across fairly soon after I started really getting into the Bible. It was, it was after, that, after that summer where, after my freshman year, my life was completely different now. I was such a desire to follow the Lord. The new pastor had come in at that time, and I'm just diving into the Bible. And I remember when I got, I got to 1 John, and I got confused. Um, I read, you know, in, in chapter 1, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And, and then, but then I get down to, I got to chapter 3, it's all in the same reading. Uh, that same, I still remember the early morning, whosoever, in chapter 3, verse 9, really in a couple verses prior to, but verse 9 was the one that grabbed me. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Similar to what we read here. Now, I stopped there in chapter 3, I never got to chapter 5, but that's similar to what we even see here in verse 18. We know that whosoever is, uh, is born of God sinneth not. Now, I remember thinking that I just came across a contradiction in the Bible. Uh, I, I remember thinking that. That and I didn't. I remember I sat there. I had. I had. It was different. But the Bible actually I was reading it is in my office right now, and I was. I was going back and forth looking at those two verses, and then I did conclude. All right, I'm just missing something. That's all. That's all it is. I'm just missing something here. It was, and as we're going to see, we'll dive into that tonight as to what is dealing with in relation to the Christian life. The first John is, is of course, an incredible book. It's, it's one where he is making clear distinctions between who is converted and who isn't. That was because it was getting so, the waters were so muddy with it. Um, Gnosticism was coming in. There were people in the church that were not genuinely converted and, and that were even living in the flesh, living in sin. They had no trouble with it whatsoever. And he's trying to clarify because the Gnosticism came in and there, there was, that was going all kinds of different directions and it was corrupting churches. And so he's letting them know, saying, no, no, listen, those who are saved, this is what their life is going to look like. Those who have never been converted, this is what their life is going to look like. So he, was, he gives marks throughout this epistle of what genuine conversion looks like. That's what he's doing. As he's finishing here, he gives us three things that we need to know. We need to know. 
And so we're going we're gonna to look quickly at those three things. And, and there's something that's going to help us. You know, I, when I was in high school, one of the math subjects that I liked, much more than algebra, was geometry. I, I enjoyed geometry. Um, and they would, they would, you usually had to have these different, well, I don't know what to call them now. They were axioms. They were like truths. This is true. All right, this is true for this equation. And if you had that axiom, you knew where to go with it from there to solve the problem. All right? If you had that down, you could solve it. It, it. Almost like deductive reasoning. If you know this, now you can now you can use logic and other things to solve it. It's what's going on here. He's given us three things to know, or three axioms. These things here, if you have them down... They can help you in multitudes of ways. So he finishes the epistle with three things. And the word knows throughout, I think it's like 40 times or almost 40 times it's in this epistle that he uses it. So I want to quickly look at those three things that we're going to jump in here tonight. And then, and then we'll, 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 we'll pray, have our invitation, and, and head, over, head over for the fall, fall harvest party here this evening. The first one he brings up, let's, let's get to this. He says in verse number 18, this is the first thing he wants us to know. We know. That whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. So here's, here's one of the things he wants us to know, and that deals with the conduct of the converted. Those who are genuinely converted. Listen, that, that is a problem. That, that's been a problem. I mean, even Judas was not a genuine convert. You know, Christ praying there in John 17, all those you have given me, they are mine, except for one. And that's true. There are those who have never been genuinely converted. So here he's dealing with the conduct of those who have been genuinely converted. And again, he, he, he's dealt with this prior in this epistle. And the key is, is the tense of the word that is used. It's a present continuous tense. So it means a continuous action. It's not at all saying that a Christian will be perfect. He's already covered that. If, if somebody says they have no sin, they're a liar. That's another mark they're not converted. Those who are saying they're perfect, all right? <laughs> There's no truth to that. Um, and there are those who actually believe in a doctrine called sinless perfection. But again, if any man say he had no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So he's not dealing with saying that a Christian has to be perfect here. That's not what he's driving at at all. It's saying that a Christian will not continue. It's a continuing word. Will not continue to practice sin over and over and over. A Christian will have a different view on sin. It's something that all of a sudden, because of conversion, becomes a battle. If it's not a battle in your life, something's horribly wrong. The sin in your life should bother you. It should trouble you. It should, it, it, should, it should lead to that, that struggle within. If not, something is really wrong. A converted Christian will have a different view on sin. He's certainly not going to be perfect, and he's going to have sin. But he doesn't have, he, he doesn't have that desire. One preacher put it this way, I liked his phrase. He said, it's dealing with direction, not perfection. And it's, it's what it is dealing with. It's dealing with direction, not perfection. A changed nature results in changed behavior. If any man be in Christ, behold, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It, it's it's kind of like we, we, we can compare the nature of a pig and a sheep. Um, and we didn't have, I don't know if we had any, actually, we actually ended up having a couple of sheep on the island for some reason. We had a lot of pig in, in New Guinea. 
on the island of Ireland. That was their, you know, that was their, your, even your status of wealth, depending on how many pigs you had and how big they were. But those things can go find a mud puddle that's arranged and just mess with it. Just, just get off and not even care. They'll just play in that mud puddle. They'll eat out of that mud puddle. They'll just, they'll just stay right there in it. Throw a sheep in that mud puddle. He doesn't want to stay there. He might get curious and slip in, but once he's in there, he wants out. It's a different animal. It's the same thing with the Christian. You might begin to play with sin. You might even fall into that mess. But you know what happens? You want out. You want out. You don't want to stay there. If you want to stay there, you still have the same old sinful pig nature. You want to play with that mess. But for the Christian, when sin hits, the conviction is there. The conviction is there. So that's what he's saying. He's dealing with the conduct of the converted to know this. We have the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the begotten of God. We're not alone in the fight against sin. The devil is limited in what he can do to us. He cannot touch, I mean, lay hold on us. That's amazing to think about. He can tempt us. He can try and seek out our destruction, try and, try and set things up. Uh, um, yet he cannot use one of his biggest weapons, and that's laying hold on us. He can't. Lord won't allow it. He can tempt you. The Lord puts a line in the sand of what he can and cannot do to the Christian. Second thing we need to know here. So we know, verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, dealing with the conduct of the converted. 19, now, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now is the position of the converted. We are of God compared to a world that lieth in wickedness. It's trying to use imagery to say, look, look what's happened to you because of salvation, because you have been converted. We are of God and have been translated, as, as it tells us in Colossians chapter 1, into another kingdom. That's a result of salvation. I remember I was, when I was a teenager preaching in the, in the different nursing homes there, was one primary one. And I was in that one every day, and they had an activities director. That's who I would, that's who my schedule was through, was through the activities director. I'm, whatever, I'm 17 at the time, whatever it is. And so she was really nice. We got along well. I remember one conversation, it really opened the door to the gospel with her. Um, she had said how I was in her little chapel area setting up, and she came to say hello. And, uh, and she, she made a comment. She said, you know, we're all children of God. And that's a common thought, isn't it? That we're all children of God. And I, I, and I said, and of course, it's tough being 17 at the time, and she was probably in her 40s or 50s, going to listen to this little punk kid that's in there. And I said, I said, well, we're not all children of God. I said, we've all been created of God. I said, but we're not all children of God. Once that conversion hit, you're of God. Born again of His seed. It changes everything for you. It changes your citizenship. It changes your kingdom that you're a part of now. So he's reminding you as a Christian, you need to know your new position. As compared to this world which is controlled by Satan, the prince and power of the air. This world that doesn't even realize it lieth in wickedness. Isn't it amazing that after you get saved, how much clearer that really does become? It does. 
I mean, I mean, not on a grand scale. Don't, I'm not saying from a self-righteous, pious point of view that, 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 that somebody has. Not at all. I'm just saying, like, I'm, I still remember the day that I got converted. You, you've heard me refer to it. That afternoon, uh, out with my cousins, we were getting ready to I'd probably play football or baseball. I don't know what it was. And I always cussed, and I said a cuss word. And it just, I didn't even know why. I just felt, I was like, well, that just doesn't seem right anymore. I didn't, I couldn't have told you at that time that that was because of conversion and God's spirit convicted me. I had no clue what any of that was. But I just remember like, oh, that just doesn't, never happened that before. But this world lieth in wickedness, but something changes at conversion. I mean, think what the devil has, but we won't turn there for time's sake. I'm down to like my last five minutes. And uh, I think, hey, Ethan, can we take another hour to preach? Hey, can, can we have another hour to preach? He said, yes, we're good to go. I'm back on track. He has no idea what he just agreed to just now. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 deals with something the devil can do to this world and he blinds their eyes. Isn't it amazing what he gets people to believe right now? I mean, think about it. You have people that believe right now that there is nothing wrong with killing an unborn child. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. Well, you know, sometimes I wonder if they actually believe that. Because usually in the argument, they go, they go to this, they'll bring up this argument. Well, what if the mother's life's in danger? What in the case of rape? Well, let's deal with the other 99% of them. But they don't want to argue from that point. You want to know why? They can't. Well, it's my body, my choice. I'm dealing with the other body that's inside you right now. It's, your, your body's no longer alone. You now have another human being that's a part of you. Yes, but he's completely dependent upon me. He's going to be for many years. Not just right now. You think once you give birth that that baby's self-sufficient? Nope. We're not giraffes. I don't know why that animal came to mind. <laughs> wow. Where did that even come from? I mean, right now, this world actually thinks. I, I saw, I mean, and it's just sad. At times it's disheartening, it's sad of, of how blinded the world is. That they think this is normal. That you can choose your gender. I mean, think about it. They believe it to such an extreme that there, are, there is a, a political lobbying group that wants to allow parents to give medication to their kids to stop puberty till they can decide. The devil has blinded the eyes. I was watching on TV, I can't remember what health position he got from the government, but it's a man dressed like a woman in a high-level position. He's simply blinded. Blinded. Luke 8, 12 deals with the devil's ability to steal the word away once it's been sown. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he works to hinder our efforts with the gospel. And he does. He works to hinder them. So the first, one, first thing we need to know is the conduct of the converted. The second was the position of the converted. <clears throat> and thirdly, let me jump, jump, jump onto the third one here. Verse number 20, And we know... That the Son of God is come. That's really good to know, isn't it? 
and hath given us, now get this, an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his, even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Here's the last thing that we need to know, that axiom for us that helps us in life. is as a result of conversion, we have understanding. We do. It's not, I don't mean the Bible isn't, isn't saying that at all. It's, it's, it doesn't mean that once a person gets converted, he has all this great theological knowledge about God. That's not it. But all of a sudden, you have God's Holy Spirit indwelling within you. You're put in a position to have understanding. And there's responsibility, I think, that, that even goes with that. I'm, I won't dive into that too much tonight. But we know that the Son of God is coming, that He gives understanding. I mean, we can think of verses like 1 Corinthians 2.14, For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because they're spiritually discerned. Now we have God's Spirit, the author of the book, God Himself. And dwelling within us, there comes an understanding to learn more and more and more about God. It allows us to know more of Him and develop that relationship with God. This is what illumination, you've heard me give the illustration before, I won't do it right now. Christ even talked about this on earth. Um, In order for a person to get the understanding, it's, it's, it's a lot of times we think that, we think a lost person can gain that understanding. But like it said in 2 Corinthians 4, they're blinded. I, I can bring a blind person up, up here all day and turn all the lights on, as bright as they can go. Will I help him? No, he's blind. The first thing that has to happen is he has to have sight. Then the light will help him. Conversion gives you sight. It gives you sight. <clears throat> And the phrase true God is stressing. He is, he is the true, the only true God. There is no other God beside him. He is the creator. He is all. And this, by the way, is a good verse to mark in your Bible for those that you might come across that want to challenge that Jesus is not God. There's a lot of different groups out there today. Most of them sprung up in the 19th century. That wasn't when it started. You had the start of some of those things all, going all the way actually back to the 3rd century. But, but many of it, it came to more prominence when you get into the 19th century with the rise of a lot of the isms. Um, from your Mormonism, the Jehovah Witness movement. Um, they began to deny that Jesus is God. This is a great verse for it. Look at this. At the end of it, even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. I use that one almost probably every time. I got three or four verses that I'll go to and and then just let him look at that. Who does this verse say Jesus is the true God? And he is. And as a result of salvation. Something we need to know is that it comes with the ability to understand. I mean, I'm, this, I'll be looking at this a little bit at the Men of Faith on Saturday. About the great and the importance of pursuing the relationship with God. And, and how, and, and I, I almost don't want to give one of my illustrations that I'm going to use. Because I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach that again. On, on, when you're preparing several messages at one time, sometimes they overflow into each other. But it is all about the it is all about that relationship. 
So we see the conduct of the converted that we have taking place here. Christ who gives us understanding the position and the position of the converted as well. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, this message certainly was for those who are converted tonight. But maybe you're here, you're not certain that you have genuinely been converted. I want you to think about that. If you were to die right now, where would you go? The Bible teaches us that upon death, the soul departs the body. It's going to one of two places. It's going to heaven or it's going to hell. The Bible says there's a point where it wants to die, but after this, the judgment. After death comes a judgment of Almighty God. God will judge you, His Word teaches us, based upon His Word. So you're going to stand before Him. He's going to open up His law. He's going to see if you've broken it. And guess what you have, just like I have. The Bible says, for all have sinned. You've broken His law. That presents the biggest problem you face in life. Because 100% of those who are found guilty are cast into a lake of fire. 100%. Something needs to happen where you look perfect. That's God's requirement. Not that you attend church, not that you've been baptized, not that your good works outweigh your bad works. Perfection. But none of us are perfect. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. That's why God became a man. He lived the perfect life as a man. The only one in all of human history who could stand at judgment and the Father could say, you're innocent. Now don't miss this. He lived that perfect life for you. When he went to the cross, he took all of your sin upon himself. He literally took your place in judgment. He died for you. Hell did not hold him. He's God. After three days and three nights, he arose again from the dead. At the same time that he takes your sin upon himself, he gives you his perfect righteousness. The Bible says, speaking of the death of Jesus Christ, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And if you'll come to him in repentance and faith, he will save you. If you're here right now, say, Pastor, please, that's me. I don't know that I've been converted. I don't know that heaven is my own. Please, I need you to pray for me. Just put your hand up real quick and then put it back down. I'll pray for you. I see a couple of small children. That's all I'm seeing. If you put your hand up, I did miss it. I would need you to do it again. Anybody here at all? All right, Christian. If the Lord spoke to your heart tonight, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 483. If you need to come and pray, you come and pray.